what the heck's your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 new keywords that we better try to keep track of. I'm your host, Davey, and with me, as always, I got my co-host, Phil. How are you doing, Phil? Hey, doing great. It's Harrow Deep Day. <laughs> yeah, Harrow Deep Day. Uh, that is your context, folks. It is the Harrow Deep pre-order, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to do our best to jump straight into it here. Um, we've had a, about a 36-hour uh, head start on things. We, we uh, got our preview package from GW, and um, we uh, would say thanks to uh, the folks there for uh, giving us a chance to take a look at that. Uh, we're going to do it, uh, just our community shout out. We're going to, we're going to do to, uh, can you roll a crit and path to glory who, as far as I can tell, have done nothing in the past 36 hours, but, uh, prepare content because they have, uh, a full review of everything in here. And there's a lot, uh, yeah. there's, there's, so uh, two war bands, universals, uh, there's, uh, grand Alliance cards and there's, uh, a bunch of new rules and that's what we're going to focus on. Uh, today but if you want to be able to take a look at the cars themselves if you have not already done so you can go check out those websites and they uh, break it down card by card uh, uh, for all the stuff that's in there so uh, do that um, and then also we uh, are contractually obligated uh, <laughs> by ourselves <laughs> in, in a uh, blood contract we've written just with ourselves uh, to shout out uh, our personal hero uh, the crew for underworldsdb.com uh, who already have the tools Man. out there to uh, get you what you need to build decks. Oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah. And such a short turnaround. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. MC Rat, um, uh, I'm convinced he does it only because he time travels as uh, someone over in Australia. Um, <laughs> who's, he's coming to us from the future. So otherwise, how could it, how could it be possible? But that's that's what we're going to do for there. We're, we're going to jump uh, straight into the episode here. Uh, we're going to be talking the new rules, and there's there's uh, quite a few of them. We're going to be talking about uh, what we've what we've seen um, and what we think some of the impact will be. And it'll be interesting to compare with what the what the actual uh, impact on the on the game is, because um, obviously this is our, our first take. We haven't even had time to play a game with it yet, much less. Uh, um, you know, do that and play a volume of with which we'd be able to say, here's the definitive, um, definitive impact of that rule. So, mm -hmm. uh, if we get it wrong, let us know how wrong we are. If we get us right, <laughs> if we get it right, uh, you can do the same. All right. So, uh, I made it my job over the past, uh, past day to try to go cover to cover through this rule book and side note, uh, I thought the background stuff at the beginning was outstanding. I thought it was really thematic. Uh, I really enjoyed reading it. We talked a little before about uh, the kind of eldritch horror aspect of, mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, unfathomable, uh, fearsome, unknowable horrors. And uh, it's got the real creepy vibe to it. So um, we'll, we'll find some way to cover that soon. It, it may be also uh, in cooperation with uh, the story phase like we've done before um, we don't know we haven't seen anything about a, a accompanying novel slash novella slash uh, anthology um, fingers crossed for anthology because that'd be fun uh, mm -hmm. that, that last one was cool um, but uh, uh, I think it deserves to be covered and we'll we'll get to that but right now we're gonna we're gonna look at what kind of impact the uh, the changes to the rules have uh, on on things here so you ready to jump into it? Hey, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it again. Uh, <laughs> so we're going through these just kind of in the order that we encountered them, right? Um, so, and by we, I mean me, because uh, we've, we've got the one <laughs> set and I'm, I'm looking over and uh, trying to send info over to Phil. So he's got an idea. But uh, 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 so the, the order we'll go through is the order that they're kind of presented. Um it starts out kind of laying out all the cards and it's worth mentioning here that, uh, the, the cards themselves, uh, are all that new style. And we've seen that new style in the essentials pack and, yep. uh, in the starter set. Right. Yeah. So, yep. um, that, uh, now you've had a little bit to get used to them and, and, uh, seen some of the, the pictures of the new cards. What, uh, what have you thought about that new style there? So, yeah. Um, it took a little bit to get used to 
it was sort of like, hey, you know, it wasn't broken. Why'd you like rotate everything around and put everything in a new spot? Um, but now that we're seeing some of the further developments of like adding these symbols and things to further codify rules into shorter uh, and more space efficient means, um, it, it makes a lot more sense now. Um, the flow mm-hmm. of the cards, I think, is is very good, uh, and they will likely continue to be very space efficient, or at the very least, leave a lot more space for more complex rules text. Um, so I think I think once we're all playing with them for like I don't know a couple of games, we'll be completely used to it, and we won't think about it anymore. Yeah, um, and I, I'm I'm enjoying the uh, I enjoyed the old style, but I'm enjoying the new style a lot too. So. Um... It's kind of it's kind of cool to get that bigger art art to art to draw for me. Uh, one of the things that they have done is they uh, uh, wh- where they highlight you know here's where you see a, a figure's movement, here's where you see a figure's uh, health, that sort of thing. Uh, they talk about the trait, and we've seen this before. We've seen it with leaders, so the the crown symbol mm-hmm. that you'll see on a leader card. Wizards, when you see the uh, weird, I don't know, arcane rune that uh, defines a wizard. Uh, but they have two new ones, and that's uh, Beast and Flying. Um, beast is a, a concept we're kind of familiar with, and we we kind of had in the in our head anyway, but it had to be written out in full every time. Uh, this is a fighter that cannot be given attack action upgrades or balance spell upgrades, whatever those happen to be, uh, and they cannot hold objectives. Um, so we've seen plenty of fighters like that, Squigs and... Yeah, pretty much all the animals except for Riptooth, I think. I believe that's true, yeah. Um, and doing this, uh, saves them a lot of card space. And then it also keeps us, you know, because we know Riptooth is out there every time a, something that kind of codes as a beast, like a, a crab or something like that. Every time something that comes out, we got to take a look at that and say, okay, let me make sure that the text all reads that there isn't something left off. Well, here you can just put this symbol. It looks kind of like, uh, like a clawed symbol, actually kind of like the, I think a monster symbol from, um, a little bit like the monster symbol from Age of Sigmar, maybe, or Rampage. I'm yeah, not sure. yeah, I think it's uh, Warcry symbols, um, almost oh, exactly. Yep. I think they sure. just pulled them directly and slapped them on here. Yeah, um, and then uh, flying. Uh, so flying is when make a move when making a move action. This fighter cannot be dealt damage by lethal hexes and can move through blocked and occupied hexes. Must end their move action in an empty hex, uh, and that just kind of lays that out. What's fun about that is that you can, we've seen some of this effect before, like um, uh, from a while back. Like, was there, were you saying there was something in Shadesfire? There There were some upgrades back in Shadesfire, I think, that let people basically do this where they could just run through stuff and then they had to end their move in an open hex because I like it, just there's no other way to do it. and you'd always have to have these big, long paragraphs of text explaining the, this exact concept over and over mm-hmm. and over. So mm-hmm. it's nice to have it as a nice short thing that people will be able to just be like, oh, there's that symbol. That means I can move through things. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So if you got the the bats or a star eagle, you can just say, hey, this thing's flying and then save the save the space for something more interesting if you want it. So, yeah. Um. There are also on these cards, there is a Grand Alliance symbol, which they point out. It's one of four possible symbols, and this becomes relevant in deck building uh, because your Grand Alliance determines um, a few more universals that you have access to, specific to your Grand Alliance. Now, the warbands uh, we've seen so far that have them are, of course, the um, the two that came with uh, Harrow Deep, and actually the two in the starter set both have uh, those. The Wraith Creepers and the Storm of Celestis have a, a small um grand alliance symbol on them uh then there's a specific call out here that says hey if you have a warband and you're looking at the cards and it does not have a grand alliance symbol go to warhammerunderworlds.com and you will find them there uh and at the time of recording uh that list isn't up there uh those of us who know the game pretty well or know the the background pretty well could you know uh, pretty easily infer which which uh, grand alliance things are are assigned to um if you're ever not sure, I believe uh, Pat the Glory on there, they, they kind of have it laid out um, as well. Um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, this is an example of them kind of bringing 
bringing the game up to speed with uh, uh, with the, the older warband. So not exactly an errata, but kind of. Uh, and it makes me wonder whether we might see that happen with any other keywords. I don't know what you think the chances of that are. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they have been pretty resistant to updating old warbands. And obviously, like, there's probably sales and marketing reasons for pushing the new stuff over the old stuff. But um, I don't know, with Rivals, it kind of makes sense that you might mm-hmm. continue to see um, updates to some old stuff just to make sure that it's like, hey, it's very clear that, you know, the Corn warband is a Chaos warband. It's not, like, a separate thing. So, um I'd be cool. I'd, I'd be super cool with them doing more updates to old stuff because I love some of the old Shadespire warbands. But mm. if they don't, I guess that's status quo, and I wouldn't be upset about that either. Yeah, there's there's some uh, cards that I'm expecting you'll see will interact with beasts or or whatever, and it'll feel weird that uh, if there's things that are clearly beasts out there but don't gain the benefit of that. So you wonder, <laughs> you know. Will they will they mark beasts as beasts? And if they do that, how far will they go? Will they you know mm-hmm. will they decide to add hunter into something, or will they, um, you know what what all are they gonna uh, give different keywords to? I guess um, how how far do they want to go with it? Yeah, and it remains to be seen. But speaking of uh, building decks with Grand Alliance cards, uh, there is a section about building decks, and there is just a few things of note here. Uh, one was that it talks about building your objective deck saying you ha- must have a minimum of 12 objectives in it, which is different than exactly 12 objectives in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a that's a change. I don't know. Do you think that's an impactful change or is it uh, just kind of a... <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe in a negative way for someone who's not quite like, <laughs> sure of what they're doing. Um, <laughs> like if you roll up with 20... Power, uh, objective cards or something you're probably doing yourself a disservice um yeah. but yeah i mean i think it's interesting it opens up more design space um like there there could be future reasons for wanting or needing to take more than 12 um which i think is is potentially interesting um whether it'll be good or not we'll have to wait and see i think uh since since they are still restricted to six surge cards in championship format, that is that is a reason not to want to start adding a whole bunch more end phase stuff because it, it just mm. increases the chance of getting hands of end phase cards, which you probably don't really want. Sure. Like uh I've definitely have you um score out a Starblood Stalkers deck on me by the end of round two. Uh and you would think, well, gosh, it'd be nice to have a few more objectives to score in round three, but you're probably not getting through your whole deck by the end of round two if you've diluted your surges. So yeah, uh, if there's, yeah, it'd be interesting. If there's more ways to like manage your objective hand, if there's, you know, there's, there are um, some of these universals do have some interaction uh, with how you draw uh, and we'll see something with uh, at the start of the game, how mulligans work. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how much that feeds into this, but uh, we may touch on those more when we get there. Yeah. Uh, power cards are the same. So a uh, minimum of 20 and no more than half can be gambits. Uh, so you're in the, you're in the same boat. You can do 10 and 10 is the thing you're going to most often see um, with an occasional 10, 11 or 11, 11 or something else. So, yeah, uh, and that's not, I mean, I think that's good that they kept that the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the next thing they do is they kind of lay out a board and they do a good job of uh, explaining here's what, one uh what friendly territory is and here's what no one's territory is uh they had a cool point about uh, edge hexes which was if you're um uh, if a hex you're looking at if it doesn't have six complete hexes around it then it is an edge hex it's like oh that's a pretty easy test for people who might be confused about it just look at it and if you can't count six complete around it there you go there's your answer so mm-hmm. yeah nice quick explanation uh, yeah uh, there is uh, a new thematic hex, which is a cover hex. Uh, this is signified by a dashed line on the board. Um, that is uh, new to this. Uh, it goes alongside blocked and lethal hexes as a hex type that you could encounter on the board. Um, cover hexes uh, provide double supports for defense. Uh, what do you think about that mechanic? 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, more defensive play opportunities, for better or worse, is something that I think is uh, interesting. But I, I mean, the general community will have to decide whether more defensive play is good. Um, but like, you can you can make a fighter really hard to hit if mm. they're counting double supports all the time as defense uh, successes and. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I mean, I like the idea of sitting autopodal and some cover hexes <laughs> and being like, yep, yeah. three dodge with double supports. Uh, sounds good to sure. me. Um, or glissette sashaying her way over to a cover <laughs> hex. <laughs> Give her a single support and then she's succeeding on all sides of the dice. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be good. Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know. It It'll be... It'll certainly be a change from lethal hexes, that's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. How it impacts the game, though, I think we're really going to have to play with it first to see what the t- true impact is. Yeah, uh, and I think one thing that's worth noting is that as a defensive buff, uh, it is it is not a symbol that's going to get negated by uh, cleaver and snare. Um, so, yeah, with those with those keywords floating around. Uh, if you're there, that double support all of a sudden is really your friend because it's a it's a defense result that will not get canceled by those rules. So it's mm-hmm. perhaps more powerful for for having been that way. Right. Um well it's uh talking about boards, they also go into board placement. So there's a four hex overlap. Uh it used to be in the uh championship play rules, now it's in the official rules. So whatever format you're playing, there is now the four hex overlap. Thinking about it, I don't, I don't know that uh, I ever saw somebody in Vanguard. I don't, I don't know, uh, not that I, <laughs> I played Vanguard, but uh, I think, I think it was just kind of treated as a, as a rule already. So, we've seen it before. Right. It's in there. Um, do you think it's been a, a generally positive or generally negative or generally neutral uh, change of the game? How, how do you feel about it being codified? Yeah, I think it's overall a positive change. I, I think people more often than not are going to enjoy having more interaction and this mm-hmm. this change forces that more frequently mm-hmm. um i don't know that it's necessary for that to be part of the game but i think because there is an emphasis on combat um and wanting people to be able to fight um and trying to make it so that you can't just completely block out a aggro warband with board placement um that i think generally it's it's overall a positive yeah, I think so. And I think especially with the extra defense room uh, cover, uh, you'd hate to make it hard to get to people. And also once you get there, they're even <laughs> harder to hit. So uh, yeah. I think that's that's solid. Um, I feel like last season I saw more hallway, more uh, long configuration uh, yeah, since right. the diagonal. So I, I wonder how prevalent that'll be. That, that configuration has its own quirks, you know, where it's uh, you can get some distance, but it's hard to move past people. So, um, very true. Interesting to see. There's less. There's less variation in there. There's there's some more quirks with the diagonals where you can uh, kind of uh, with with certainly where certain block hexes are, you can really kind of choke off the map even more so than you'd expect. So. Mm-hmm. There is a there's a little side about rerolls. Uh, this is pretty minor, pretty corner case, so we won't spend a ton of time on it, but. It talks specifically about the timing rerolls, and as with uh, most any GW game, a dice can't be rerolled more than once, even if you have more than one reroll rule available to you. It does say uh, rerolls should be done simultaneously unless they're coming from different sources. So, uh, if for instance I had, uh, let's say, Eagle Eye, um, and I was making a ranged attack, so I've got uh, one reroll from that, and then my target is staggered, which is a new rule for this, where uh, you'll have a a reroll against that target. You have two rerolls, but they're coming from different sources. And so I can reroll, uh, pick up one dice, reroll it, see what that is, and then pick up a different dice and reroll that. Uh, again, incredibly corner case. Um, the only thing I could come up with off the top of my head that seemed like might be a scenario where you'd want to do that is uh, with uh, Branching Fate or maybe with a caster where you really didn't want to accidentally get yourself into a um, into a backlash situation. Mm-hmm. so yeah pretty pretty minor stuff there but you know that's it's 
<laughs> someone someone will be creative and find a good reason for wanting to roll things one at a time like that. Yeah, and it's just good to know exactly. You know, sometimes these things, it's nice to know exactly what the timing is supposed to be. So right. um, it's nice that it's laid out. That's a small one. Let's hit a big one here, objective tokens. Uh, feature tokens, yeah. I should perhaps say. Um, in the last two seasons, the back of our feature tokens were lethals. No longer. Uh, so the the back of the tokens are gloom, uh, which is not synonymous with cover. Um, it, they they do happen to be cover uh, hexes. So like all gloom hexes are cover hexes, but the reverse is not true. All cover mm -hmm. hexes are not gloom. Um, and that's going to be important in a, in a, you know, some cards may refer to cover hexes and some may refer to gloom hexes. So make sure you're drawing a distinction between the two. Um, yep. uh, first up is that uh, they start gloom side up. So once they're all placed, that gloom side will be the sides that's showing you don't flip them over. Uh, and so uh, that's worth, I guess it's worth saying how we flip them because that's pretty significant here. Um, that is a uh, mechanic called, uh, called Delve. And that is a thing you can do in your power step uh, in place of playing a card. So if I said, okay, for my for power step, I'm going to uh, sidestep. I'll move in. All right, fill your turn. You can uh, neither then on your turn play a card or or you can flip a feature token. And that would have to be a feature token that you have a fighter, a friendly fighter standing on. Mm -hmm. So you're only flipping the ones that you're already standing on. So you're kind of committed to that. Um, and then you can only flip a feature token. You can only delve a feature token once uh, per player. So there's a circumstance where if you were to delve, flip one over, and then I somehow during the power step got onto that same objective, I could delve it back the other direction. Yeah, um, like a confusion play onto it and then flip it back. Exactly. Over that seems like the the most likely. Uh, I think maybe living land where you might drag it yep. in a direction or something like that. Um, relatively limited um, times, but it, it it it's not that it'll it, it'll happen. It'll happen uh, here and there. Yeah. This is a big one, right? What, what do you think the impact of this is? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a few other things um, that go into this as well. But I think overall, it's a big change. Um, even just knowing that all of the hexes have to start face down like that just by itself means that in turn one, first activation, you you cannot score a surge for holding objectives just mm -hmm. flat. It's just not possible. Um, because you, you won't be able to end your activation on a, uh, objective. It'll be flipped over. So you'd have to wait right. until it'll take until the power, the power step. step. So, um, the things that come to mind here are, uh, you know, anyone who's been playing this for a while, immediately thinks of hidden purpose and, uh, temporary victory, but wait, you say those are not in the game anymore. Uh, <laughs> There are still uh, ones out there, and, and uh, I think the the most obvious that jumps out is um, in the name of the king, Grimwatch. Um, yeah, notorious there. But uh, there's some other ones, right? Like um, uh, Lady Harrow's Mournflight. Uh, they have uh, beholding an even an odd. Um, they have move through two objective tokens in a in a single mm -hmm. move. Um, those are more difficult to set up all of a sudden. So a lot more difficult. Uh, yeah. 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 Not impossible, but it just, uh, it slows it. And, uh, what I like about this is that, uh, there was that good, there's a good episode that, um, our friend Matt, uh, recommended about the, uh, the right to respond. Uh, it was an mm -hmm. episode of, can you roll a crit? And, uh, really excellent about the idea of like, you do a thing, I should have a chance to counter that. And this, this puts that, this creates that for a hold objective, uh, surges, right? Right. Um, so you move on, you delve the things that you're going to want to do something about. Now I have the opportunity in the existing power step there slash if I'm going next, my, uh, my activation to try to do something about that. So, um, I think I like it. Uh, it's just a question of with enough stuff rotated out, uh, is it, is it even necessary, but it's, uh, it's at the very least different. Um, mm -hmm. 
here's uh you you uh referenced some other things that were significant for this and i'm gonna i'm gonna list these other couple of things out and then uh, we'll dive back into this uh, the, the further implications uh for one when we're uh placing tokens in the past uh we would just take turns pulling them off the stack blind and placing them um now, if you have the first board, so Phil, you place the first board, you're going to have three three uh, future tokens to place. I'm going to deal you three, deal myself two. We can each look at the ones we have. So I'm going to know in my two, do I have two and four? Do I have one and five? What do I have? Uh, mm -hmm. And then I can make an informed decision about that. The flip is that uh, until you until yours are delved, I do not know what order they are. I know I know what three they could be, but I don't know where they're at. Um, yep. and that adds kind of a cool layer of like lies and mystery, which is, uh, relevant to this, this, uh, sphere that we're in, in Ulgu. Um, and then before we get into that, the, the last piece of this is that, uh, the rules tell you to, they have all the same requirements. You can't place a future token on a starting hex. You can't place a future token on a, uh, lethal hex or a blocked hex can't place it on edge hex uh and it says if you if you ever can't follow all those rules the the rule you can break is that you're allowed to place it on an edge hex what it does not say is that anything about the last objective placed there's no there's no caveat for that so that last mm -hmm. objective placed uh still has to follow all the rules if you still can uh so you could get forced depending on how things landed into a um a placement that's like really a front and center so, um, we got a couple of things, a couple of conflicting things going on here where, um, you can't just set aside some territory at the back to say, I'm going to, yep, that, that spot way back in the corner, that's going to be my dropping spot for an objective. Um, and, but also there's a, there's some more cat and mouse as far as the numbers. So what, what's your take on, um, what impacts those might have? So I really like the numbers change, um, we were talking before about how the whole objective uh, objectives that required you to know which numbers you were going to mm -hmm. land on just always felt so bad because you might just end up flipping all the wrong numbers or having the numbers that you want, but have them really close to the front lines. And, and there's just like holding objectives is already kind of the more difficult thing to do in the game anyway. So it was like, mm -hmm. it always just felt like this double bad, like, why would I want to do this? It's never going to be easy enough to score to make it worthwhile. And so now that you have some control, I think there's the potential, especially for certain cards to start seeing uh, some play again. Um, and then on the flip side, your opponent then, has more chance for counterplay with the numbers as well because they can know that like hey i know they're probably going to want this one i'll make that the one i put as far away from them as possible sure uh and an extra advantage to having three is that you have more knowledge at the start of the game or which numbers are which so yeah definitely that can um, come in handy uh yeah. and not just on objectives there's a few things like like we talked about like living land um which can move an objective that corresponds to the turn number um, so, or flip it so yeah it, fl it flips it yeah. which yeah i mean that's that ends up being an interesting defensive play now because like if you know you don't have it that makes your living mm -hmm. land pretty nice if you know you're playing into an objective holding warband because you're like oh cool mm -hmm. when they you know when they need that yeah, because it lets you move one in your territory or flip the one that matches the number. So as long sure. as you know you don't have it, you know you've got an extra flip that you can use from anywhere on the board yeah. uh, as a defensive play. And that could be Yeah, it'll create some impactful. cat and mouse with the delve. Like they're yeah. they're going to uh if they figure out that you've got that, they're gonna delve earlier, sooner rather than later. Yep. Uh so that they'll be able to uh get it get it back over. But yeah, that's uh, interesting though. Sure. Um, what about this token placement? Yeah. Um, this is another thing where like objective placement is hard to conceptualize just in your head. It's something that's much easier to like really grasp when you can look at it and figure out all the different potential placements. Um, 
there's been a number of articles now, but like until someone had done an article to sort of lay out like, well, here's, you know, objective placement as a strategy. And like, here's where if you place your first one here, it means these are all the places that are still open to you and all the different possibilities. And it's like, it sort of flips the switch of like, oh, that's right. There's this whole strategy of how you're placing the tokens. And I think mm -hmm. that this, that upends a lot of these strategies because usually when you care about these things, you want three. And part of the plan is that you always had that option to keep one farther away. Mm -hmm. That option's now gone. So you're probably going to have to think more about like how many neutrally placed ones can I have? Because yeah. they're all going to have to be closer together. So you want to be able to make sure your first placed hex allows for the most neutral placements possible. So sure. that you still have three in your territory like you want, but they're not all just clumped right up at the front lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a challenge there because I think you can, I think you should be able to get yourself one that is fairly relatively safely placed. Uh, but that, but more than one is going to be really difficult to do because there's yep. going to be a lot of placements that can counter that. So uh, I think, uh, I think this is a, a realm where like a little practice, like laying out a board and saying, okay, like mm -hmm. if I put here, where would somebody else put, I think this is, this is where, uh, some prep can, uh, pay off for people. Um, yeah, I think there's also an interesting, uh, push pull here with, Hey, I've got, uh, we talked about like delving at the right time, right? Like you don't mm -hmm. want to leave it too late because if somebody does pack a little bit of flip tech, then they can burn you for the, uh, for the end phase. Uh, but the yeah. longer you wait, the longer you wait to delve, the longer your fighter is protected because they are on a gloom hex, which is a cover hex. Uh, Very true. So, uh, and a lot of those fighters could use a little bit of extra protection. So, um, that, a lot of uh, again, like worried. anytime we're giving more sort of decision points is, uh, got potential for, uh, you know, up in, up in some skill, I guess. So, yeah. I think I, I think I tentatively like all these changes. Uh, I certainly, if maybe, maybe too early to say, like, I think I'm very interested to see how they play out. I think, uh, I think it's a nice shakeup, um, yeah. on this. I think that's a, uh, that's a good take. Um, as yeah. someone who likes to play hold objectives, I'm very apprehensive about all the flipping that's going to be possible. Um, yeah. but I think it, it, it'll just necessitate a strategy change. Um, obviously surge, not that there's a lot left, but surge hold objectives is just not as viable of a strategy anymore. Mm. Um, and things that allow you to score for holding like just a certain amount of hexes or for holding all of the objectives is probably a lot easier now because now like <laughs> they all start flipped so if you just hold one uh, that you've mm. chosen to delve in the last power step you could be getting something like claim the city <laughs> for holding one yeah uh, yeah interesting pretty nuts infestation um <laughs> yeah be interesting to see how viable those cards are because you know that with with delving it means a lot of flip uh, a lot of flip gambits or upgrades uh i've lost some of the currency because it's it's relatively easy to do but I think if you get the timing right, um, and there's some potential to be unlocked there. Yeah. Um, here's one aspect we haven't even mentioned. Now that the backside are gloom tokens and the additional two that get placed, so you would each get one to put down, are also uh, gloom tokens. There's a whole lot less lethal uh, hex floating around out there now. Yeah. Uh, and that has, so we just talked about some of the like, push pull pros cons for objective holding this is a push pull pro con for uh for aggro so con uh it's harder to get to that one shot you know and by one shot sometimes i'm meaning like doing three damage plus a lethal to finish them off yeah um to get to four um but on the other hand if somebody diagonal offsets you they can't throw an extra lethal in there to make it even worse for you to get in like the the yep. way is now further open than it than it ever was before. Um, the number of times that you were just like running a gauntlet of lethal hexes and going like, "Oh man, I, <laughs> I sure hope uh, 
I sure hope I don't get knocked back or, or pushed or, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> so, um, that'll be interesting to see like damage damage basically has kind of just by virtue of lethals. They're not gone. They still exist on boards. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot less of them though. Um, yeah, you can very easily choose for there to not be any on your side of the board. Sure. Yeah. Th- you can place fighters more aggressively because, uh, during setup, a lot of times that, you know, if you were an aggro player, that frontmost spot would get a lethal hex set right behind <laughs> it to dare yep. you to set up there, you know, sure no longer. Would. So. That play is dead, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of nice. Um, yeah, I, I think overall lowering the lethality of the game, but mm, sort of promoting aggro is actually kind of an interesting balance. Mm-hmm. I think maybe one of the things that I always disliked about the aggro metas is that it, it really became just a one shot kill um, meta. It was like, sure. can you get the kills in one hit? And so every attack mm-hmm. was life or death. There was never a chance to, well, very rarely was there a chance to survive an attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just starts to feel like, well, as soon as you get your dice going hot, the game's over. Mm-hmm. If if the amount of damage really isn't there, though, now all of a sudden four wound fighters could actually have a chance to maybe take advantage of mechanics like heal or yeah. having a better reason for wanting to be on guard because uh, you you know that you're having a chance to survive more than one hit. So, yeah, it could be, be interesting. Cool. Sure, to see how we evaluate cards like that that heal. Like, generally speaking, we see a card that's heal one, we're like, ah, I don't, that's not anything you know that's (laughs) not gonna be all that great uh but maybe they are maybe they're better now um and we'll we'll see how that plays out i know a big thing where there's a lot of uh dire chasm war bands uh on paper were a little light on on damage like they uh started at twos across the board you know three three felt like a pretty rare damage profile uh, for fighters uh and i think some of that was probably masked by the presence of lethals uh, and if they're not around, maybe that becomes more apparent. So, for sure. Um, yeah. So big, big changes there, uh, and big changes mm-hmm. that kind of push things in different directions at the same time. So, uh, here's another big change, real big one. Uh, and this is this is another one that was real easy to have uh, glossed over. Um, I actually had to go back and read it again. Uh, my first time through, I, I missed this and. Uh, just because I was kind of looking for like, uh, let me let me find first time through. Like, let me let me focus on like the keywords that are new to me. Mm-hmm. All right, I already know how to draw cards. What could they possibly tell me about drawing cards? But what <laughs> they can tell you is that uh, the Mulligan rule now. So um, it gives you the order of you know. So draw your cards and then choose: Are you going to uh, keep or discard? Uh, keep or Mulligan your power cards or your objective cards or both. Uh, the player that first plays place the first board is the is the first one to make this decision. You set those cards down, you draw your new hand, and then you take those discarded cards and you shuffle them back in. So, oh man, uh, yeah. So you will not whatever you mulligan, you are not going to see in your opening hand. Like it, it's the the shuffle happens after you draw your new hand. Yeah. Um. But uh, that's got that's big, right? And uh, oh, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And we talked, I mean, honestly, like this is, this is one of the parts of the game I was worst at is, uh, I've, I've always felt so bad to mulligan. I would hang on to hands that I probably shouldn't have, mm-hmm. uh, just because it felt so lethal. Like decks would get so fine tuned that you'd say, I, I, I can't afford to discard this five glory. Like yeah. I, if I discard this five glory. I've probably lost anyway. So I need to find a way to make this work. Uh, that was maybe overstating just how dire it was but that's how it could feel at times um, i mean i don't know how hyperbolic that is there were some <laughs> there were some points in the meta especially with the end of beast grave with whole objective uh surges where it was like no really your opponent if they aren't mulliganing is going to score every single card in their deck mm. and if you just threw away three cards you've pretty much guaranteed a loss even if you score everything in your deck you only scored nine, whereas they scored 12. So unless you were scoring a bunch of like two and three scores and they were scoring all ones, the Mm -hmm. math just ends up 
meaning that on equal play on the board, because you threw away cards, you don't have enough glory to catch them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think this is a great change. I think this will allow for a lot more variety in deck building. Mm -hmm. um, there's always always the concerns of breaking hands of saying like, well, you know, but what if you draw all those in your first hand, then what are you going to do? And it's like, well, I now have an answer to that question. And the, the answer is I'm just going to put them away and draw them later in the game. Um, I don't, I mean, this is another one I think we need to play with, but it feels like it's going to have major ramifications from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Like people are just going to yeah. build decks differently. Yeah. You can be more aggressive. Uh, it makes it makes third end phase objectives a little more palatable because uh, yeah. if you if you draw those in that opening hand, you don't have to carry them the whole way. Uh, you get to shuffle them back Definitely. in. Uh, I still don't think you take more than one. No, I agree. But uh, even even one felt like sometimes more yeah, than I wanted. Still, yeah. Um, yep. So I I, I would uh, I will revisit a lot of the third end phase ones now. Uh, but even stuff like pure carnage, which is not technically a third end phase. Yeah, you still don't want it in your first opening hand. Like exactly. So, um, yeah, basically Reavers OP. So. There. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, I this this is far ranging. I think you said it. You said it best already. So uh, excited to see how this goes, and excited to play some games with this mechanic. See see Oof. how that feels. Yes um relatively minor they, they have there's a break mechanic and i think this is again mostly a, a word saving thing which is basically an upgrade uh can be broken uh, which mm -hmm. is just that it's discarded so this is kind of like what uh acidic strike would do acidic strike yep. basically breaks an upgrade um, yep and so there's a number of ways to narrowing passage or whatever it was yep. called yeah yeah um, and I think it just helps to kind of, uh, differentiate between discard, which is a different thing and break. So, yeah. Um, and it, it just something we'll talk about in a future episode more, but it pairs well with the new illusion mechanic. Um, it allows mm, them to make yep. a, a clear distinction of these break after a certain thing happens. And then you don't have to mm -hmm. have the huge wall of text explaining what all things break it. And then another paragraph of text explaining what that means to break it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, yep, definitely save some space. A couple of the rapid fire keywords worth mentioning. Uh, there's vulnerable, which is a keyword that doesn't do anything on its own. It just means that one more damage and you're dead. Yep. Um, and there's already a number of, uh, of universals or different cards that interact with that, that vulnerable state um there's bounty which is just a term given for uh the glory that you earn from taking a fighter out so yeah um uh, so things like uh if we were to get a return of something like tome of offerings it would say uh you know fighters that you take out of action are worth one additional glory for their bounty or something like that you know like it would just um help clarify that so you'll you'll see yeah. things that interact with that without having to spell it out uh, Grievous, which we've seen, is plus one damage on a crit. So, uh, pretty straightforward. Um, they did a they did a lot of work with uh, cleaning up the power. Uh, with the uh, I should say, they did a lot of work with cleaning up the reactions. Um, so mm -hmm. there is a reaction slash inspire reaction step inspire step surge that happens after each. Uh, activation step and power step. So now your turn is split into an activation step, power step, and each of those are followed by a reaction inspire surge. Um, so any reactions to that, any things that could inspire and any surges that would score off of that. Um, and they have a little lightning bolt to say, hey, here's a point where you'd be able to play reaction. And they do that all the way through the attack sequence, which is handy. So it says, hey, you know, after this thing happens, there's a chance for reactions. After this thing happens, there's a chance for reactions. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm still not 100% clear, not having actually seen the rulebook. I've I've seen some of this text written out for in our notes. Mm -hmm. So there's a specific step now in where surges are scored. I th uh, it is it is the same as was kind of laid out uh, in Beast Grave. It's just more formally written, where you know after 
after an activation, we said the order that things happened were reactions, inspiration, surges. Um, sure. Okay. Okay. Sure. So Got it. It, it's kind of formalizing that. Uh, one interesting side effect of this is that uh, there is no surge step in the end phase. These only happen after an activation and after a power step, uh, mm-hmm. which means that, and they say this explicitly, that uh, surges cannot be scored in the end phase. Um, that was relatively rare, but it was powerful, but also like confusing when it would happen. Yeah. When so, you like drop your new hand and then immediately score something like that would always feel yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, and I think we, there were a couple primacy ones that were like, if you discard primacy uh, yeah. and you're on certain objectives, then and you're like, well, I score that in the end. Well, not anymore. So, yeah. Um, that's good. That was just kind of a weird corner case thing that was always funky to, to deal with. Um, so, so we talked about the, uh, the attack sequence. Um, there's some specific language here and this was, uh, this is worth noting. I think it kind of clears up. There's been one conflict, uh, about whether fighters that don't drive back, but push instead like Hadzu or Tamiel, um, whether they can, uh, whether a fighter can ever be considered trapped. And with the previous wording, uh, since those fighters weren't driving back, there was an argument made that they couldn't trap a fighter. Uh, now mm-hmm. trapped is defined. The target is trapped if there's no empty hex adjacent to the target, which is further from the attacker. Uh, yeah. There's no reference to whether you have to drive back or not. You're immune to being trapped if you are immune to drive back or pushes. So uh, those fighters, sure. you know, uh, Hadzu's not going to be able to trap a fighter who's on guard, for instance, uh, but will still right. be able to push him. So I think that the language got cleaned up in there, uh, in a good way. Uh, and I think it's pretty, pretty clear that in those two fighters cases that they, they do gain the benefits of having a fighter trapped, which that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Nothing too far reaching there since, uh, I can only think of two fighters that it applies to, but, uh, <laughs> uh, sure. uh let's see, uh, line of sight is in there. There's no changes. It's just worth mentioning because people get confused a lot, uh, line of sight if it touches a block text so if you run down the side of a block text with your line of sight uh you don't have line of sight uh if you run down the side of an incomplete hex you still have line of sight so yep. uh, you incomplete hexes only block if you actually if your line of sight goes into that incomplete hex not uh not alongside it so worth taking Correct. note yep um while we're talking about attacks there is a new mechanic called stagger uh mm. Stagger, if you have the, if you stagger somebody, which is, I think most often with an attack, we'll have the keyword stagger, but also there are power cards that will say stagger this enemy fighter. Uh, if, if you stagger a fighter, you will remove their guard tokens and then they have a stagger token on them. And then anyone attacking that fighter can reroll one dice. Um, so mm-hmm. those combination of things are, pretty good uh notable here it just removes guard tokens so if you have something that keeps you always on guard uh then that does not apply i feel like we're getting fewer and fewer of those though like survival instincts has now rotated out Um, right we'll still see dominant defender which i think counts you on guard while you're uh, on an objective um i believe uh the mad mob have some for if they have primacy then they're on guard that sort of thing but um, I, th- I think it'd be good if they, if they move towards like, you have to have a guard token to be on guard sort of thing, like have some way of generating a guard token. So except for Glosette, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glosette forever. <laughs> um, that's a good point. Glosette yeah. is always on guard. Um, point being you can stagger Glosette. She'll still be on guard. You'll get a reroll against her. So she'll it's be in still, some kind of still something in between. Yeah. Um, what I think this is fine. I, uh, yeah, I I, think it's what rerolls are a big deal. Um, yeah, doesn't always feel like it, but I think more often than not, the the chance of succeeding in an attack with a reroll is so great compared to Mm -hmm. one without. Um, having passive ways to just get rerolls without cards is probably really good. Um, sure. I mean, there's some setup involved, but same with most everything else in this game. So I yeah. think there I will mean, be 
plenty of uses for this. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're Ripa, you really like staggering people because all of a sudden your wolf oh, yeah. bites are rerolling and that sort of thing. So that's uh, anytime if you have an attack action that um, cannot be modified, rerolls will, uh, you'll enjoy staggering instead. Uh, you mm -hmm. can remove your stagger token if you take a guard action. Uh, then you give yourself a guard token and remove a uh, stagger token. And it's not just a, a guard action. You can say, I'm, I'm, if you give your, if that fighter, which is staggered, is given a guard token by whatever mechanic, whether it be an action or a gambit mm -hmm. or something else, then um, then you will remove stagger tokens. So this is kind of like a, uh, it's almost like its own delve, like where you're flipping back and forth between. Yeah. I can definitely see some fun back and forth there, but I think there's also going to be situations where you've made a charge and then your opponent uses a ploy to stagger your fighter. And it's like, well, you've charged, so you can't take another action. Mm -hmm. So now I just get rerolls on you for the rest of the round. Yep. Yep. Uh, mentioning Delve, that, that kind of brings us back around to the power step. Uh, here's a big change with the power step. Uh, after... I take an activation. If I'm playing against you, Phil, you have the first chance to play a power card. Power step starts with the opponent. Um, so yeah. that, I think that's got impacts that we, I, there, there's, there's something. So like um, it takes, I, I think it gives a little more into that uh, right to respond, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what I see from it where before you'd say, I'm going to attack and then immediately I'm going to get to play a power card as well. Um, so maybe you're grim watch, you're attacking and then using seized weapon or like moving and using seized yeah. weapon or, uh, or I attack and do a certain amount of damage. And then I also push, uh, use a, um, a distraction to throw you into a lethal or something like that. Now you have time, now you have a chance to say like, okay, uh, I just got attacked. Uh, you know, uh, let's say, Vortimus got knocked back. He's got one health left and they specifically pushed me next to this lethal. I have an opportunity to do something before I go. Do I want to burn my sidestep stepping back on the chance that they have, I guess not distraction anymore, but you know, um, hypnotic buzz or, or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, should be a good change overall. I, it's another one of those play pattern change ups where like it will require a shift in mindset um mm -hmm. so it's very difficult to imagine what the implications will be just from thinking about it but once we get into mm -hmm. playing with it i think we'll start to see some major benefits of being able to do it um there'll probably be a, a whole bunch of interesting power cards that you can play to really mess up your opponent's plans uh because you got to do that before they got to really start laying out their power step plan mm -hmm. uh Speaking of uh, laying out a power step plan, that is a thing that we didn't talk about with Dell that is just effectively, it's a, uh, I'm going to tread water for a second. So mm -hmm. I'm going to say, uh, you know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm Reavers and I really don't actually care about objectives. Um, but if I have someone on it, I can say, eh, I'm going to delve. Um, I'm going to give up my chance at cover or conversely, I've somehow gotten onto an objective that's uh, exposed. I'm going to give myself cover, but I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to wait to see if you have anything to play. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that there's a, a ton of circumstance, but you occasionally get in those like kind of staring matches of like, like, okay, go ahead. Are you going to play something you passed? I'm happy with the board state. I'll pass as well. Then and we'll, yeah. Yeah. Gives you a way to, to stall without passing. Um, yep. Which is, it's definitely nice. Um, does yeah. require positioning, so you know certain warbands won't even want to risk taking the action to be on a token. But if you get there anyway, just because you need to have moved into that particular spot, mm -hmm. I like the flexibility that it offers there. Yeah, yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see how often that uh, that stall is actually uh, a significant thing. Uh, there's one other thing. This is, this is a, this is a pretty corner case thing. I actually did have it come up in, in, uh, one of my games, but, uh, uh, like it would, it would have changed, uh, some of the way some of these games might've played, but, uh, reaction windows remain where priority. So, uh, the, if both players, there's only one reaction per window allowed. Mm -hmm. 
And if both players want to react, it's the person who's got the next activation. If there is no next activation because it's about to be the end of the game or the end of the round and we don't know who's going next, then it'd be, let's just pretend that there would be somebody taking the next one and it would be the normal iteration. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a weird circumstance where if, so let's say I took an activation, you have priority, so you react to that. Uh, If we both want to react to your reaction, you technically still have priority. Uh, under the old rules because you have the next activation so you could chain a bunch of reactions together it was pretty rare um, but you could potentially react to my activation then react to your reaction then react to your reaction uh, (laughs) just perpetually blocking me out until you're out of cards Um, again pretty rare uh, but occasionally could happen i would i would see it happen with uh a lot of times if you had the ability to react with an attack so it kind of uh and then so like um uh, furious reprisal or something like that, where right. if you uh, attacked me with your activation and I used a, a Ripa's card, furious reprisal, attacked back, and then had something like I was using wolf bite and like, whoops, I missed with that. Let me uh, try again with uh, you know unbridled ferocity, uh, preventing you from ocup- occupying that window. So, um, it's going to be rare that it comes up, but I, I think it's a good one. It, it keeps one player from being able to just kind of dominate it. it still keeps us in that right to respond uh territory there so yeah definitely uh i think we've kind of covered we've covered the changes that were uh that i managed to dig out of this book and and mark (laughs) up so um just a couple things i know right is uh kind of covered a lot of ground there as as far as uh what it was uh how do you feel about this relative to other seasons? Like, is this, um, you know, the one, one of the things that we didn't really mention, like we, we, we talked about like illusions. Um, they're kind of a relatively small thing. Uh, we didn't see a big thing. We didn't see a big thing like magic or hunger or primacy. Right. Um, yeah. Um, now of course we'll talk about this a bit more, uh, in our warband reviews, but, on the new warband cards, there are some other new keywords that will likely mm. be important going forward. Um, so just some things to keep in mind there. Sure. Um, I mean, we like, can mention those like, yeah, uh, it's, what assassin and it's assassin brawler and companion. Um, right. right assassin right. and brawler are like hunter and quarry. They don't actually, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, they don't do anything on their own. Uh, you will need another card to trigger something for a fighter that is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then companion, we've only seen it on one fighter so far, and I think it will also require other cards to unlock anything for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we have seen reference to uh, we've seen reference to hunter. There's a universal that references hunters as well, so. Um, okay. obviously not a new one, but a, a continuing thing. There were no cards that referenced, uh, I did not see anything that referenced quarry and I didn't see anything that referenced primacy or hunger. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's not a guarantee that we won't see them later, but, uh, yeah, yeah. no reference to primacy missed opportunity there. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully by the time we are done with this recording, they really stick it to us and release something, uh, uh, like an accompanying well, document. Um, I, I would at not, least I would expect to see it on release day. But I would not be upset with an FAQ right now. But sure, yeah. <laughs> if if they want to continue to just not answer the questions about primacy, I guess that's their prerogative. <laughs> and since it's not in the new rule book, they could just let it die. But it seems weird that they would do that when there's a warband that requires it. They could well, and that that warband comes with a primacy card in it, so uh, yeah, that uh, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, taken as a whole, um, so we talked about those those things that you know they, there wasn't any like single big like mechanic like oh here's the here's the like guess what you know now there's magic in underworlds, guess what now there's hunters and quarries or whatever. There's there's yeah. a little bit of that uh, going on, but uh, really what we're seeing is like an amalgamation of a lot of, uh, small to moderate changes. Um, uh, some are, you know, maybe bigger than they first appear. Uh, what's your, what's your overall feel? How does it, how does it 
appeal to you? Is it your, does it feel like too much? Not enough? I think it'll be hard to say if it's too much. My initial reaction right now is it's like, this is almost like a version change for the game. We're, we're mm. taking a lot of core concepts and changing them. We're mm-hmm. changing how objective hexes are placed. We're codifying the new board placement. We're changing deck construction. We're, uh, you know, like objective tokens are changing again. Now, not that that's completely new, but it is something we're seeing again. Mulligans are changed. The, the you know, the just the, the, the layout of the turn is not even the same as it used to be. So mm. these changes, well, individually are all kind of small. If you take them all together, it's like people who are familiar with the game are probably going to need to sort of hit the reset button and be like, nope, it's different now. The game has changed. And for people who are starting over, it'll probably, or not starting over, but are starting new, it'll probably be helpful because a lot of this stuff is going to help smooth out uh, some some gameplay stuff. Sure. Yeah. I, I would agree with that, uh, that feeling of like almost an addition change. Um, it's not, you think of some of the, the times where the flagship games like... Um, 40k or aos or back in its day fantasy some of those edition changes were like whoa this is like almost a completely different game some of them were like yeah this is this is i recognize all the bones of this um but there has been these uh tweaks in certain spots that are they're going to be uh, substantial um yeah and impactful and that's what that feels like to me right now which makes me excited to play so definitely that couldn't couldn't agree more <laughs> yeah that kind of covers our, our, our uh, I think we're going to call it there for this episode. We've got more to cover with uh, Universal's Grand Alliance cards, the new warbands. Um, we have some ideas how we how we might go about that, um, and we'll be we'll be coming back at you pretty quick with some of those. Um, Phil, did you have any further thoughts on uh, the arrival of Harrow Deep? Oh, I'm just excited to play. Uh, been waiting, sort of been in a holding pattern, and now especially now that there's like changes to deck construction and stuff. I'm really excited to jump back in. Yeah. Right. Uh, deck building is, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I really liked, uh, as other people can have done at this point is, uh, perusing some of the cards and you, you see a grand Alliance card and we'll talk about this more, but you, you see, and you're like, okay, like it, it almost, uh, hones your thinking a little bit. Like, are there's only so many war bands that can actually use this one. So let me think about like, where that slots into each of these war bands. So it's kind of a fun way to think about it. Definitely. Um, Well, that's it. We're going to be coming back at you uh, soon with more Harrow Deep content, uh, talking about some of the uh, war bands and universals and what that means for what we've got. And uh, we'll be coming at you with some game experience as well and the next time around. So um, you can get in touch with us with your request for what you want to see. Uh, what you thought we got wrong or right, you can get us at WTHCast on Twitter, whatthehexcast at gmail.com. You can check out all the content from the Mortal Realms Network at themortalrealms.com. And I should say there's a new show out. There's a brand new show to Ooh, our yeah. uh, to our family. We have uh, Path to Story, and that is a podcast that is covering narrative gaming, specifically using the Path to Glory uh, Path to Glory system that is with AS, AOS 3.0. Uh, they're building their own narrative campaign, running through it, uh, giving you that kind of uh, narrative goodness. Um, Paul, uh, one of the hosts, has described it as kind of an amalgamation of a lot of the things that we already have going on, sort of some of the uh, some of the tactical mindset of what the heck's, some of the uh, narrative mindset of, uh, of the story phase, and uh, some of that skirmish style of uh, Dogs of War Cry, uh, I think. Uh, is, is how he was presenting it. So um, you can listen to the three of them over uh, and they have released a episode zero and an episode one by the time you'll hear this. Um, so check it out if you're interested. That about covers it. You recommended listening for today's episode is The Deep by Clipping. Uh, and that is a one-off, but you can get that. And it's pretty rad, some Afrofuturism crazy story. But uh, um worth uh worth scoping out uh for what the heck's i've been davy this is phil
All no. right, we're going now. So that's a that's a moment for after. Uh, if I had been recording, <laughs> you would have the moment where I realized we weren't recording. Um, so that's a that's a first for us. I think uh, that is a first. Hour, so. That has not happened. But that's yeah. all right. We're not we're not that far in. All right. 